The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter. You can find it on page 15 of your bulletin, printed in its entirety. Um, Before we read that, let's pray together for illumination. Dear God, our Father, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you for the many ways you speak to us, and we thank you for these words of Holy Scripture that we're about to read. We ask your special blessing on Evan as he delivers your message to us this morning, and we thank you for that blessing. Um, We ask you to bless us with open hearts and minds so that we can listen, so that we can hear, we can understand, and be transformed by what we hear. We thank you for these blessings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll start with the first verse where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Evan. I'm the campus pastor here at Geneva Campus Church, and uh, I did not know I would be preaching today. Um, So... Uh, We are going to take a slight detour from our series on uh, our mission and vision because uh, Pastor Jim is ill at home, and so we offer our prayers for him that he would feel better soon. Um, But I also am going to invite you to creatively apply what I'm about to preach to this uh, mission to uh, engage the city and the world with Christ's love and redemption. I don't think it's totally separate, so uh, I think that you can do it. I believe in you. So um, I've been, uh, anybody who knows me knows that I listen to way too many audiobooks, and um, one of the things that I've been doing is uh, starting to listen to memoirs and, and autobiographies. And I really love doing it because you get to hear somebody's uh, life, and often these are read by the author. Um, so you kind of, it's like you pulled aside you know, some famous person and were like, tell me about your life, and then they do. Um, and, and it's really exciting and wonderful. And I've listened to a, a number of these. And uh, recently, um, I, I finished Bruce Springsteen's autobiography. 
And if that reference is dated for you, I've also listened to Colin Jost's. So just, yeah, and maybe that's not even, I don't know. Um, but uh, one of the things that strikes me, if you listen to enough of these kinds of autobiographies, is that every single person, um, in all their diversity, and all the different experiences that they go through, every single person is on this quest to be known and loved. And it doesn't get tedious listening to all these because they, they kind of go through it in different ways. But every single one is on this quest to be known and loved. And it's astonishing. And also, every single one of them doesn't know the way. They, they always are searching and searching. And if, if, you're, if you've ever been on a quest, which is a weird word to use, maybe, but if you've ever been on a quest and you don't know the way, you need a guide, right? You need a guide. And it's, this is one of the reasons why the Bible uh, refers to God's people as sheep again and again and again and again. It's because we need to be led. And that's actually the most common word that's used in this text is sheep. It's just the most important thing to get is that we, as God's people, are sheep. And um, every single preacher who's ever preached this text has mentioned that sheep aren't smart, so I'll just skip over that. Um, so, but we, we need to be led. That's the, that's the fact. Uh, we need to be led if we're going to reach this knowledge and love that we so seek and desire. And Jesus knows this about us. And he, in, in another gospel, he looks on crowds of people and he says, that, well, he looks at them with love because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus is a, a, a shepherd who knows this quest, this seeking. So uh, as we think together about how Jesus is the good shepherd, I want you to have this kind of question in the back of your minds as we go along. Um, pretend you're one of the people listening. What does hearing this do for you as a, as a sheep? Um, before we, we jump in, I just want to do a couple little notes about the context. So. Um, we, as, as Steve just read, uh, it's, we kind of jump right in, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, and we're kind of wondering what's happening. And right before this, in John 9, Jesus has healed a man who was born blind. And whereas the, the religious leaders of the time just raked this guy over the coals after he got healed. They, they were essentially, they were beating him up in soul because he was admitting that Jesus was the one who healed him. And in contrast, we have Jesus, who first heals this person, so cares for them in body, and then also actually attends to them again and again, keeps coming back to him, uh, and cares for him in soul. So we've got this contrast set up between these religious leaders and Jesus. And um, so... Uh, Something that my wife does, Kim, uh, when she's trying to um, teach something to our kids, or especially when she wants like Isaac, our five-year-old, almost five-year-old, uh, to really hear something, she'll talk to me, uh, but like loudly, 
and uh, say something like, Isaac is just really good at whatever it is that he's really good at. And we kind of say it knowing we want him to hear. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's talking to a group that consists of disciples and also these religious leaders. And so everything he's saying is going to apply to both of these people, and the religious leaders are hearing it as a rebuke. But the disciples are hearing it as a comfort. And so when we look at Jesus as the good shepherd, I want to consider two things. I want to consider the goodness of the shepherd and the identity of the shepherd. So the goodness and the identity of the shepherd. So uh, when we look at the text, we notice right away that Jesus starts by contrasting himself with a couple of other people. Um, He's looking at others, these other religious leaders, uh, these God talkers, and he's saying that they are like other shepherds, and he gives a couple different figures. Um, So one of them is the thief or the robber, and we see that in a couple different verses, in verse 1 and 2, and also verse 10. Um, And and when Jesus is talking about the the thief or the robber, um, he's saying, there's a shepherd who doesn't love you, who has no knowledge of you, and who only wants to harm you. There's a, there's a kind of shepherd who seeks nothing but your ill. And that's something that's important. When we look at the word robber along with thief, we kind of, those are the same in English. In the original, those are kind of different, and robber is kind of getting at um, sort of more like a, somebody who's willing to do violence to uh, grab something, to accomplish something. And so... This is a picture of a kind of shepherd who doesn't love and who does, in fact, the opposite and harms. There's also, though, a kind of shepherd, um, it's in verse 5, a stranger that's just not known by the sheep, just somebody who's just not known. They are, so this is a shepherd who has not let themselves be known by the sheep and who the sheep don't know. It's a stranger. And um, most interestingly, in verse 12, there's this figure of the hired hand. There's, so there's a kind of shepherd who is a shepherd, like does the job as long as it pays. A shepherd who cares so long as there's money in it. And if things go the other way, they're out. This shepherd, if things get dangerous, is gone. So in verse 12, he who is a hired hand is not, and not a shepherd does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. So this is, he may not, this shepherd may not actively harm, but through neglect and indifference, harms the sheep. So there are shepherds who aren't known by the sheep, who don't know the sheep, who don't love the sheep, and who either actively or passively harm the sheep. And Jesus is saying, I am not like that shepherd. I am a shepherd who doesn't have to sneak around. In verse 2, the keeper opens the door to him. He enters by the door 
He's the shepherd of the sheep. And verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the door to him. Jesus is not somebody who has to sneak around to get access to the people of God. And he's not out for their harm. He calls the sheep by name in verse 3. In verse 4, he goes before them, he leads them protectively, and is known by them. He's not a stranger. In verse 10, he doesn't just not harm the sheep, but he gives them abundant life, full life. And then verse 11, he gives his life for the sheep. This is a moment where, okay, this is a familiar metaphor. If you've grown up in church, if you're familiar with church stuff, it's a familiar metaphor, and we just got to, like, take a step back and readjust, because what Jesus just did makes no sense unless you've been in church all your life, because he said, a good shepherd, take, he lays down his life for the sheep. What shepherd do, does this? To lay down your life for the sheep. Uh, if the shepherd dies, the sheep are, they're exposed, they're at risk. So Jesus is not saying that he's that kind of shepherd. What's he saying here? He's getting us something even more true. He's saying that he is the kind of shepherd who will actually account for the wrongs of the sheep. And he's the only shepherd who will lead them through death. Not just to that point, but through death into life. So, this is, honestly, this is a text that we could sit with for a long time, and just meditate on, on the goodness of the shepherd. Just think about how strongly Jesus contrasts himself with these other shepherds. But let me just say a couple things. What does this mean for us? I mean, some of us, we hear these descriptions of the shepherds or the thieves or the hired hands, and I don't need to tell you that you've met people like that, right? You know religious leaders, God talkers, who are like that, and they've hurt you, or people that you know, because they don't love you and they didn't know you. And so the first thing to say is just, Jesus is not like that. And you were never meant to experience that from church people. And it's a tragedy if you have. And Jesus, the good shepherd, will bring an end to all bad shepherds. He's not just going to let them do their thing. There's going to come a day when he says, enough. Some of us are suspicious, maybe, that Jesus isn't a good shepherd. We think he's kind of more like the hired hand, and if things go south, we're gone. He, and we think, maybe, I thought this, Jesus will only be my shepherd if I have my stuff together. I, there's some thing that I can't seem to get past. Some, it's a, it might be a sin or it's some other persistent problem that we just kind of can't shake. And we think, Jesus is 
just tired with me at this point. He has to be super tired of me, and he doesn't want to leave me. And the truth is, Jesus is a good shepherd, and goodness does not quit. Goodness does not quit on you, ever. So, just hear this. Jesus, the good shepherd, is not tired of you. And he loves you with a love that you have never experienced from other human beings. You've only caught glimpses of it. And so this good shepherd is the good shepherd. He is who he says he is. But Jesus isn't just saying the kind of the churchy Bible equivalent of, I look out for my own people. Because that, that's not that unique. He's doing more. And that's why we need to consider not just the goodness of the shepherd, but also his identity. So when in verses 14 to 18, so Jesus starts saying, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. You imagine like record scratch for the people who are in that moment. Because now he's suddenly talking about his Father. This is not continuing with the metaphor. And then in verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me. So when he's talking about knowledge and love, when he gets to the thing about knowledge and love, he breaks the metaphor. Why does he do that? Because he's getting to the thing, that the metaphor, getting at who he is as a shepherd. And in order to see that, we're going to kind of step into the classroom for a minute, okay? You ready? Classroom moment. So uh, in the Bible, one of the most common uh, ways, I've said this already, that people, the people of God are called, referred to is sheep. So the people of God are sheep in the Bible. And uh, there's this consistent motif. You'll get it in the Psalms, in Genesis, in all their other places through the prophets. Um, and the, the common name for the people of God is sheep. And they, they often also say that the Lord is their shepherd. Psalm 23, Ezekiel 34, other places. So there's this persistent theme that God is the shepherd of his people. But there's also this other theme, which is that uh, the people need this strong and righteous leader. They need a king like David. And later on in the Bible, that leader, that Davidic king, who we would, you also use the word Messiah, anointed one, he also is called a shepherd. And so the question that we want to ask is, okay, in this text, what Jesus is doing, is he saying... I am the Davidic shepherd. I'm I'm the shepherd that's following after David. Or is he saying, I am the Lord, the shepherd? So which one is it? Yes. It's both. Yeah. I was reading your minds. I could, yeah. So Jesus is saying that as Great David's greater son. He is the shepherd of God's people. He is a righteous king. And he is also the Lord in the flesh. He is the shepherd of Israel. So let me, um, let me substantiate this a little bit. So um, 
in Ezekiel 34. The Lord is uh, doing much the same thing that Jesus does in John 10. He's critiquing bad shepherds. And the Lord says, I am against the shepherds. I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. And the Lord says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And he also says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And then in the Psalms, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 77, you led your people like a flock. Psalm 78, David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. Psalm 79, right in a row. Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever. And then finally, Psalm 80. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. So Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of all of these texts. All of the scriptures point to me. And so what does this mean for us? Well, as the Davidic shepherd, Jesus is the perfect and perfectly righteous king who leads us faithfully. He is not like the other shepherds, but he leads us with righteousness. He doesn't lord over us, his leadership, but he leads us in grace. And he doesn't divide his people based on any other circumstances besides their fidelity to him, their, their belonging to him. So, and then as the divine shepherd, Jesus has perfect knowledge of you. Maybe that's scary. So um, one of the things, a text that I keep coming back to when I think about this is uh, John 20. This is the resurrection account that John gives. And there's a moment when Jesus has risen and Mary's at the tomb and she doesn't know that he's risen. She thinks he's the gardener. And there's a whole lot there that I can't get into. But Mary, the moment that she recognizes that Jesus is Jesus is when he looks at her and he says, of our text in John. In verse 3 of our text in John, it says that the good shepherd calls them by name. So put your name there. Jesus knows your name. It's basic that you're known by name. But not just that. Jesus, as a divine shepherd, can lead you where no one else can. So um, there's a, a commentator. This is the only commentary that I would ever recommend as like morning devotions. So just put that in perspective. Um, his name's Derek Kidner. Um, he passed away a few years ago. But he commented on Psalm 23. Only the Lord can lead a person through death. All other guests turn back, and the traveler must go on alone. So every other uh, guide cannot help you through death. 
Uh, this is a moment where I just get to be a pastor, and I get to remind you gently, with love, that, like, you are going to die. And the good news of the gospel is that you won't face that alone. Jesus has been through death, and he will shepherd you through it. Some of you, um, some of the people in this room have fulfilled their marriage vows. When they were married, they promised to somebody that they would be with them until death parts them. And death has. And there came a moment when you had to, you were at the graveyard, at the cemetery, and you were there with them to the end. But at a certain point, you had to leave. You had to go home. That will never happen with Jesus. He will never leave you. He is the good shepherd. He will always be good. Um, I'm going to want to do two more things here. One, uh, in Scripture, Jesus is not just a shepherd. He's also a lamb, right? In, um, in the beginning of John's gospel, he's famously called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Lamb who gives his life for the life of the world. And that Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, who lays down his life for the life of the world, is also our shepherd. And um, the last book of the Bible as it, as it pictures every tribe and nation and tongue, people from all over throughout time, gathered in worship and praising the Lord. Here's what it says in Revelation 7. For the lamb in the midst of them, of the throne, will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. So the, the lamb who has died for you, who's taken away all the wrong you've ever done or ever will do, is also the shepherd who one day is going to wipe away every tear of Jesus' love. That he knows us by name and that he wipes the tears from our eyes. I'll close with this. Um, so many of us in this room are familiar with David Brooks um, and uh, it's been mentioned, I feel like, a bunch in the last few weeks. Um, he does this thing. I, I might, it might be in his book, Road to Character. It might be in a different thing. I'm not sure. Um, but he makes this distinction between uh, resume virtues and epitaph virtues. Resume virtues are kind of like, I, I, I did this project. I worked here. I accomplished this. I did this. Uh, epitaph virtues are like faithful friend. Uh, so, okay, uh, I'm sorry for some of you who, if you're already on the verge of tears, I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to contribute more to that. But um, I'll just say, I, on my dad's gravestone, um, it's his favorite phrase that he said when he was ill is, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. This is epitaph virtues. Here's one I want to propose. 
In Genesis 49, we hear from Jacob, who, if you know anything about Jacob, he is uh, like the most, uh, like the worst character in Genesis. Like, is it okay for me to say that? Um, just, he, he's an inveterate liar. He deceives people again and again. And he, like, never really fully, like, it seems like he is always mistrusting people and deceiving people and doing all this stuff. And nevertheless, the Lord guides him and provides for him and does all sorts of things. And there's this remarkable moment when he's blessing all of his children at the end of his life. In Genesis 49, he says the the most remarkable words. He says, God has been my shepherd all my life. He's finally realized. God has been my shepherd my whole life. That's an epitaph virtue to consider. Can we say that at the end of our lives? God has been my shepherd my whole life. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your abundant goodness and your immeasurable love. Thank you that in Jesus we are fully known and fully loved. And we pray, Lord, that as we allow this to sink more deeply into us, that you would also help us to turn outward toward the city and the world with the same message of love and redemption. We trust that you're able to do this through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, who we pray. Amen.